Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. This is episode 49 of the podcast and so glad you could join me for this week's episode. We got a great one for you. Corey Pronman of The Athletic is here, my good friend. He was here way back in August to preview this draft season. And here we are in June (laughs) still talking about the 2022 NHL draft and we are now a month away from the draft, Corey has his draft rankings out at The Athletic. My draft rankings will be coming out on dailyfaceoff.com on Friday, June 10th, which is actually my birthday. Why did I do that on my birthday? The mentions are going to be awful. Either way, we're really excited to get that draft ranking done. I'm excited to get this draft season over with just because, I mean, hey, we've been talking about it for 10 months now. We are going to head into July and hope for the best as we get to that draft. But before we get there, I need to let you in on a little something. I let my subscribers know at Hockey Sense with Chris Peters, but I need to let my listeners know as well that Hockey Sense with Chris Peters on Substack is going to cease operations at the end of this month. Um, And it's for good reasons. I can't share all of the details yet, but I got a new job. Um, We will have more information about that. The good news about the job is that I will keep this podcast. I will continue to do NHL draft and prospect coverage, but it will be for another outlet. And I'll be able to explain that more later. Also, Daily Faceoff, I will continue to produce draft content through the end of June. You will see my final rankings. You will see all of that. And then I will hand the reins over to them to cover the draft as is. You'll be able to follow my coverage of the draft still. Um, as I continue, but I will be starting a new job very soon. Um, and I'm really excited about it. It's a good thing. It's going to be uh, a unique experience. It's going to be a little different than what I'm doing now. Um, but it's something I wanted to let you know, things are going to change a little bit. Uh, the podcast, however, is going to come with me where I'm going as far as I know, at least at this point so far, so good. 
um, because this thing has been growing. And I feel like the relationship that we have created between the myself and the listener, you guys that have taken the time out of your day uh, to download this, to leave ratings and reviews, to support the, the, the Substack, I can't thank you enough for that. So I don't want this to end. Um, and so it won't. Uh, and we'll continue to have the same format. There might be a lot more guests. There might be a little bit more. We should have some a little, a little more power behind the podcast as well in terms of promotion. Um, so things are going to change over time. Uh, but they're probably not going to change in such a degree where you're going to have a different listening experience than the one that you have right now. Hopefully it's even a little bit better. Um, but I thank you all for the support that you've given me throughout this time. It's been really crazy um, these last few years, being on my own, trying different things, working with Daily Faceoff, which I, has been an absolute joy. Um, I, I cannot thank everybody enough for sticking with me through my many different things. I, I actually uh, updated my resume recently, and um, there's a lot on it. Apparently, um, apparently I... I just, I have a penchant for, I mean, that's the nature of the media business, but I have a penchant for, you know, changing jobs every few years. And, uh, Hey, it's the way it goes. Uh, it's not always been my choice, but, uh, hopefully wherever I've been, you've enjoyed the content I produced and I will continue to produce that content. So can't wait to tell you more about that when I'm able to, um, about the, the, the new opportunity that has come my way and that I hope will be uh, very good. So that's enough about all that. Let's talk about this NHL draft. And Corey Priman, who I mentioned, will be on the podcast. Draft rankings are coming out Friday. Really excited about that for, for myself. Corey's already came out. Corey was also at the Combine. We talked a lot about his pick for number one, Uri Slavkovsky. Um, so he will be the number one prospect on Corey's board. We talked a bit about the, the Shane Wright uh, situation and why it has changed and how he is no longer the 100% consensus number one. Uh, we also talked a little bit about some of the fun things that Corey experienced in Buffalo, which included prospects reviewing his scouting reports of them. So uh, that's a lot of fun. So we get to hear Corey about that. And I also push him a little bit on some of his other stuff. After the podcast, we'll have a, a time for a few questions and then we'll get on out of here and we'll keep moving forward as we get ready. As I mentioned, with those draft rankings coming out on Friday, I will have a podcast next week where I will answer all of your questions about the rankings. We can get into the nitty-gritty, the nuance of why this player is there and that player is here. We can do all of that on next week's episode. So make sure you read that on Friday. Then hit me up with some questions on Twitter about those rankings. Let me know what you think. And we will answer those questions on this podcast next week. So that's what we got. Also, quick reminder... To help continue this podcast to grow and to make sure that when we go to our new place, it is on fire. It would do me a great service if you could leave a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Let people know about this. It allows us to move up the charts and really helps out. We've got 58 five-star ratings right now. Would love to see that pumped up a few more. And we will read a few of those reviews on the podcast as well. So thank you so much to everybody that's done that already. Please continue to do that as this podcast grows. We want to get it to more people and keep this community growing. It's been awesome. You guys have been so supportive. I really appreciate that. All right. That's enough talk about that. Let's get to what you came for. My conversation with my good friend, Corey Priman of The Athletic. We are talking 2022 NHL draft. Let's get to it.
Well, I am very pleased, very honored, uh, very excited to be joined by my good friend, Corey Pronman from The Athletic. He is here for um, a multi-time guest of this podcast. And actually, way back in August, we recorded our first 2022 NHL Draft podcast previewing this season. A lot has changed um, since then. But Corey, welcome back to the podcast. The draft is almost here. Thank God. Yeah, uh, and I don't know how, how much of it has really changed, to be quite honest. I mean, I, I mean, I know there's been some a little bit of movement. There's guys like a Kevin Korczynski who who's pushed guys like a Pavel Minchikov that'll that'll push to the top and a couple others. But I think for the for the most part, the, the top of the draft uh, looks similar. Maybe a little bit more of a debate at the top, but but I think the the top guys were mostly the top guys from wire to wire. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, you you definitely um, your rankings are out on the athletic.com. If you're a subscriber, definitely check that out. Um, your Slavkovsky is your number one. Um, Shane Wright, number two on that one. And so that is, you know, a change because I think everybody you you and I included figured that Shane Wright would go uh, wire to wire as number one, but it didn't quite work out that way. And so I wanted to start there because last my last podcast, I had Ryan Kennedy on from the Hockey News. The Hockey News has Shane Wright at number one at this point. Um, you've moved off of, of Shane Wright. Uh, this is a spoiler alert. My draft rankings come out later this week. I have Logan Cooley at number one still from the midterm. Um, and that's where the debate kind of is. It's in it's a pretty much among those three players. Uh, so I want to start with your thought process in t- in putting your Slavkovsky number one. Right. And it was, I wrote about this in, in the article that I felt it was a coin flip the whole mm-hmm. way. Uh, I have something, a decision that I struggled with and, and I really see very reasonable arguments for both of those top two players, those players being the Kingston center, Shane Wright and the Slovakian winger, Yuri Slavkovsky. Uh, both had very different seasons. Slavkovsky didn't really play that well production-wise in Liga, but had several uh, great showings with Slovakia internationally from the Holinka Greski all the way in the summer through his couple of World Junior Games, uh, his MVP performance at the Men's Olympics, and then being uh, one of the better forwards at the World Championships for Slovakia. Shane Wright, on the other hand, had a, had a very good season. I would not call it a great season in terms of what you expect from a top CHL pick, where I think he was, I think he was eighth or ninth in, in OHL scoring and, you know, very nice, very nice season, but I would not have called, you know, wasn't even the top scorer on his team. Would not have called it a dominant CHL season, but it was a very good season. Made Canada's U20 team as a top two line center. That doesn't happen very often for a first year draft eligible. Um, so there's a, there's a lot you had to balance there um, from a tools perspective, from watching the player, uh, Slavkovsky's toolkit uh, looks a little bit more exciting just when you watch him six foot four forward, he can skate, he can really handle the puck at a high level, he can, he can shoot it, uh, the compete's good enough, Shane Wright's a little bit more cerebral, makes a lot of plays. Uh, good two-way center. The center versus wing is also a variable in this discussion. And uh, so you kind of balanced all those things. And it's, it's why I thought it was a coin flip because there's so many points in either direction. Ultimately, I looked at a toolkit that I thought was superior and Slavkovsky over rights. And what I thought was enough 
higher level performances. Yeah, you don't want to overreact to one good tournament. But this wasn't one good tournament. This was, these were several. You even go back to his World Juniors from his 16-year-old season, his World Championships from his 16-year-old season. Uh, this is a guy who has consistently shown he can raise his game. And, I, I, and that package ultimately made me lean that way, even though it is the winger versus center debate. Yeah, it's it, and that is a good debate to have, and, and really, I think it's it's all well reasoned because I agree. I think that the, there's such a there's such a tightness in the number one discussion right now um, among those two. I know you've got Cooley a bit lower than um, you know outside of those top two guys, where you feel like it's more of a coin flip between the top two. I really add Cooley to that mix just because a lot of a lot of it is comes down to toolkit. Um, you know, he isn't the big, he's, he's obviously the smallest of the three, but at the same time, I just, you know, that's the dynamic elements of his game, um, really popped to me. And, but I wanted to kind of go off of that point and, and I agree where it's not just, we're not just talking about one tournament with Slavkovsky and it just comes back to this idea of, we talk, you and I will talk about it when we're talking about skill, like he'll flash here or flash there. This was, you know, basically his best flashes came internationally, um, but he also got more opportunity, especially at the world championship, playing over 20 minutes a game for Slovakia. So I, I just, you know, I kind of wonder how much do we read into those uh, or, or how much weight should we put on the games where in, in Liga, where he wasn't necessarily producing at a high level. If you look at his numbers historically, they're not anywhere close to players that typically go in yeah. that range. So I just wondered, you know, less about the internationals and how, how do we assess or how do you assess that league of performance? And, and I mean, put it into greater context, I guess, for the listeners as well. Yeah. What I, you know, I went back and I've watched those shifts of him and and TPS with Liga. And I I still think he looked really good, but uh, it's, it's just the production that, that just wasn't there. And I, I don't like it when people use the ice time as an excuse that he didn't get a lot of ice time because coaches are rational. And if he was playing at a elite level, they, they would have played him more. Uh, so I, I don't, even though I, even though his ice time did go up in the second in the second half and into their playoffs, uh, it's a it's a ding against him. And and that's kind of why you got to take in all the information to just kind of really assess how much skill there is there. Uh, because if he's not showing offense at a high level, then you, you might, maybe, maybe my skill rating is, is too high. Uh, but that's kind of why you say, oh, well, look what he did versus men in the Olympic. And you're like, oh, whoa, look what he did versus men at the World Championships and what, what he did at, at these other levels, including at the junior level, such as at the Gretzky or even when he's played against juniors at other points over the last two years. Uh, when you incorporate all that information, it makes me still feel confident that this is one of the most skilled players in the draft who, along with being one of the most skilled players is six, four and, and can skate. Uh, if, if hypothetically we didn't have those dis- displays of really good scoring and play driving versus men in, in February and, and may, I, I'm probably not putting him there. Maybe not even putting him even over. I probably have Cooley still over him at that, at that point, but those were really unique data points. You know, I, I think people, I think cannot misunderstand how hard it is for a 17 year old to, to, to do what he did mm-hmm. uh, versus men, you, whether it's the Olympics or the world men's world championships, you know, you watch European hockey tour events throughout the season over the, over the years. And of course those big events like the worlds and 
that doesn't happen that often. And it's not just the, the skill. Like I said, I think there is some real pro elements there with his size and his skating that will let him translate to the National Hockey League. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and tell you I'm confident without a shadow of a doubt that he'll be the best player. I don't, I just said that at the outset, I think it's a coin flip between him and Shane Wright. And I would think most people around the NHL that I talked to, if you said, give me your best player or give you the field for who's going to be the best player from this draft. I think most people, myself included would take the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's not, it's not as cut and dry this year. It feels like, I mean, it really never is truly, but at the same time, it is. No, but when a, when a Connor McDavid yeah. is going into that. Or exactly. Like that, yeah. You, you feel yeah. Like, so you said McDavid or the field, you're probably taking McDavid. It, yeah. That's a, that's a good point. I mean, that, and he's, you know, he's obviously one of those special players. I think, you know, another thing, just for a, a, another bit of context for the, the readers that, you know, TPS this season, not a very high scoring team in general as well. Um, that is something that I also take into account with, with Slavkovsky's numbers. But at the same time, if we're, you know, this is, we can get too wrapped up in stats sometimes when it comes to evaluating players anyway. Um, and, and I think in Slavkovsky's case, that the physical elements of his game are so, you know, they definitely pop. They pop to the highest degree at the end of the season when he's already made this great progression throughout the year. His playoffs were far better, um, you know, in terms of his scoring rate in Liga. So all of those things kind of come together and, and make me believe, you know, there is a lot there. And he's obviously one of the players that I severely wrestled with, you know, in my number one discussion as well. Um, But, you know, I, I think... The, the other thing that that I find just talking about that world championship, too, is that a lot of people said, oh, well, he only produced against teams that were below Slovakia in the standings. And I, I look at that and I said, this is the world championship. These are professionals. These are men. This is not, you know, this is not like in the like in the world juniors. There is a big separation between the top eight teams and the bottom two teams, typically. And actually, for a while, Slovakia was in those bottom two teams. Um, and this at the world championship doesn't matter who you're playing it's very difficult to produce and you look at all the historic historically all of the players that have played at that age they do not produce at that level um you know aside from patrick line yeah you know, i would bet if you felt the nhl players who played in that event from the david posternacks of the world uh to thomas hurdle or, or whatever i would I would bet a fair amount of money that if you if you took not just one individual, if you looked at the, the pool of all the NHL players, I'm going to guess that a majority, if not a significant majority of their points came against the worst teams. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, actually, it was it was it was funny. I was I, I asked somebody that that tweeted me that that he had only produced against those players. Uh, I said, well, Matthew Barzell was in the same was in the same division and he had like two points in the in the preliminary round so it's like three points in the preliminary round so i mean it's it's yeah it's it, it is a tough tournament it is it is very difficult to have success and it's especially difficult if you're a teenager so um and i think that that is an important data point in his whole thing um next i wanted to talk to you you were just at the at the scouting combine you had a chance to talk to some of the players um anything kind of stand out from that i mean it really it's just kind of the end of the season we're just kind of wrapping everything up i don't know if anything you know your your draft rankings were came out before um uh the the combine actually was, was completed but at the, i mean 
you know, things aren't going to move too much for us from the outside. There might be things that teams learn that, that might move things, but was there anything in Buffalo that, that stood out to you or maybe some of the conversations you had with players that, that were particularly memorable? Uh, you know, like I said, a couple of things on the margins, um, talking to people just from my interviews with players, talking to people in the, in the league, I think a couple of the NTDP kids, particularly McGrory, Rucker McGrory and Cutter Goche in present interviews. I think Liam Bischel from Switzerland pressed in his interviews, not from playing in Sweden, but is from Switzerland. Um, I, I think Owen Pickering impressed in a lot of his interviews. Uh, so those are four players that I would that, that I was told that that, that did well in, in those sessions. Uh, a couple of the the measurements were interesting. I think you know Kim Kamel measuring at five nine and three quarters. Uh, yeah, <laughs> was it was interesting, especially since when I, when I, we were we've watched him live. I I don't think he is that small personally from what I've right. seen. Yeah, but it's, yeah, that was bizarre. I agree. Uh, you know, if I mean, you know, maybe he's five, maybe he's five ten and a half or something. But it's I, yeah, that one is strange because he's measured because the Finland national team has measured him at six foot oh before, so that's that was a little bit of discrepancy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, and then obviously on, another one of the Finns was surprised laying and measuring at 233 pounds, um, which also was interesting because I was watching him do the sessions after I saw that because that was kind of alarming and he did not look you know chubby or anything like that. I so yeah, I'm not sure, I'm not sure if he's overly muscular or I didn't see, I didn't see what his body fat percentage that he measured in that was, but uh. Regardless, that one was interesting, and I know yeah. something is something that teams flagged uh, that that were there. Um, otherwise, uh, nothing overly interesting other than from the combine. Otherwise, other than uh, the exercise we did yesterday, where uh, we had a bunch of them uh, <laughs> tell me to tell me to, to, to screw off, essentially, uh, and to readers who got the context. It's uh, we had my colleague uh, Max Baldman uh, read uh, my scouting report to eleven of the players at the combine, and uh, some of it was interesting feedback. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because it, it I, I've done this practice before where I've, I've, I, it's usually not my, um, my scouting reports. It's uh, I've, I've taken it from an NHL scout and I've, I, I did it when I was at ESPN, I had Brady Kachuk and Matthew Kachuk review uh, a Brady Kachuk scouting report from an NHL scout, which was super fun because Matthew got way more offended than Brady did at any of the things that were negative. Um, but about your scouting reports. I think, first of all, that's a great, a great exercise. I think it's fun to, to see what players think. And it's always, you know, one of, one of my favorite answers from the whole thing was Frank Nazar saying, you know, I don't think I'm going to be a number three center in the NHL. And that, that to me, I love that confidence. I love that. Like, Hey, you know, I think I'm going to do it, but, but, you know, it, that was, that was really fun to me to see, you know, like Nazar, I think there were a couple of guys that, that were disappointed or, or disagreed with their scouting grade or their skating grades which leads me to my next point. I mean, we, you and I have been doing this for a long time. I, as you have kind of progressed in your career, I know you to be very, very difficult when it comes to grading skaters in terms of the threshold that you have. And so I just, I think that's an interesting thing because, and simply because these players brought it up, I thought it'd be interesting for you to kind of explain your evolution in how you've, viewed skating. And I mean, obviously it's an incredibly important thing in the NHL right now. Um, but yeah, but I, I've, I, I've always, I think you're a harsh grader, but I don't think that that's a necessarily a bad thing because it, it creates a, a larger threshold for the players to meet. But I wonder, 
what your thoughts are on is seeing that from the players that disagreed with, uh, with your skating grades. Yeah. I, it's hard to make a rebuttal. I I'm always open to evidence. If somebody, whether it's the actual player or their agent or fans or whoever thinks I'm off, show me some video that, that proves me otherwise. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. And it's, I, you know, there's a difference between being a good NHL skater in, in junior and a good NHL and a good, and a good skater at the, I word that wrong. And word that wrong. There's a a good skater at the junior level, yeah, and a good skater at the at the NHL level. Uh, you you turn on the game last night. We're recording this on today is Tuesday. Tuesday, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter. <laughs> they all run together. Uh, we I watched Edmonton, Colorado last night, and. You know, I, I, you can watch a guy like a Jesse Pulley RV. I would call him an average NHL skater. And he is uh, skating was one of his big selling points in, in his draft year. I would call Darnell Nurse an average NHL skater. And that guy is a, is a physical monster. It's just that that bar is just that bar is just so high. Yeah, it is. And I, I wonder, so how did you get to that point? Because I don't think you always were that. I wasn't always mean. Well, no, it wasn't that you were always mean. (laughs) I just think, I just feel like um, there was a little more leeway. And I just wonder, is that, is it from more views of the NHL? Is it because of the way the league is going? Is it because of all the views uh, uh, that you get? And also, I also wonder too, I have the, the, of the, of all the skills that I have the hardest time evaluating. I mean, I know you see a lot of live games, but we also, by nature of our job, have to do a lot of video work. I have a harder time evaluating skating off a of video versus live. I just wonder, you know, what, what, so I, basically my question is, is like, how did, how did it, cause how did it get to this point where, where you were such a harsh grader on, on skating? I don't think that I am personally. I think, I mean, you are, I, uh, <laughs> you are, um, and it's fine. Like I said, it's actually a good thing to be. I think it, yeah. as a scout, you have to be a skeptic to a certain degree. Right. I don't um, think, I don't yeah. think, uh, I don't think I'm harsh. I think I'm realistic. So I think those are, <laughs> so I but guess it wasn't always what, that. It wasn't always that, uh, that that's like, I, I don't know. I don't know if, how to word it, but that's fine. I, I think, I think it's, I think it's a, a, an interesting thing. Um, You know, so with that said, you being such a harsh grader, now I want to give you a chance to talk up the guys that you love their skating, because I know there are quite a few in this draft class where you, you have seen and, and in like their skating. So who to you are some of the best skaters in this draft? Uh, I mean, you, you probably have to start with Brad Lambert. Mm -hmm. It's kind of hard to, to pick many other guys and it's, Funny because usually the best skaters are the guys who you're like really excited about. These are, these are top of the draft guys. It's Jake Sanderson, it's Jamie Drysdale, it's uh, you know, or it's, it's guys who Logan Cooley. It's guys who you think are going to be really good players for a long time. But there's some of the guys in this draft who I think I've given the highest skating grades who didn't even make my list. Um, <laughs> like Ryan Healy in Sioux Falls is a is a fantastic skater. Uh, didn't have a good season whatsoever. Samuel Savoy in, in Gadno, who was a high pick in this Q draft, and I thought would be a guy who would make my list eventually. What did not make it at all because just kind of like Healy didn't really have a have a good season. Um, you know, Michael Fisher is an incredible athlete uh, that plays prep hockey, 
uh, out, out, out in Boston, six two six three defenseman. He can absolutely fly, just limited puck game. So, um, but a couple other guys who actually did make the list, uh, who I really like as skater, Frank Nazar, uh, really high tempo to, to his game. Uh, he didn't criticize the skating thing I said. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you were good uh, to him. Cali <laughs> uh, Odalius uh, from your garden. And uh, I think Denton Matejchuk and Moose Jaw, are, they're both very, very good skating defensemen. Um, I think Matejchuk in particular just has so much offense in his game uh, between his skating, his skills, playmaking, goal scoring ability. Uh, that's a player who I think, despite being 5'11", has a very good chance to be a pro in, in large part due to his skating ability. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm a, I'm a huge Matejchuk supporter in terms of, you know, his whole skill set and yeah. And the not having the great size, but still, I mean, almost a point per game defenseman in the WHL and certainly a guy worth uh, worth paying attention to very well could be the uh, the third defenseman off the board, which leads me to my next point, because this is an interesting debate. Um, the the defense the top the top tier defenseman between David Yurichek and Simon Nemich and you have him four five that's very close to what I have as well um, Yurichek being the top defenseman how did you arrive to that decision I know that's one that there's plenty of debate on um, and it's something that I've wrestled with throughout the season especially since Nemich had such a phenomenal end to the season and great postseason. Um, and then, and your check was injured. So how, how did you ultimately choose between those two and picking your check? Well, we've watched them a lot over the last two seasons so for sure at, at high level events too. Uh, so it's, even though your check didn't play in the second half until his limited world championships and he got some of those tune up games leading into it too. Uh, you, you've seen, I've seen enough of both players to, to feel rather confident in them. And it was really close. I think there's just certain things you can kind of go back and forth on. I think Nemich is a better skater. I think Nemich has a little bit more offense in his game. Uh, Yerichek, though, is about three, three and a half inches taller or something like that. He's plays, has more physicality. He has that big shot from the point that Nemich doesn't have. Even though he doesn't have as much offense, I don't think it's significantly less. I think this guy has skill. I think he has mm-hmm. good, good playmaking ability. I think he'll be able to be a second power play guy in the NHL. Uh, while playing tough defensive minutes, whereas I think Nemich is going to have to be a little bit more offense power play driven. I'm not, I'm not sure he'll be as good a defender in the NHL. So really is a coin flip, uh, the, sl- the, sl- the slightest of margins. And I just, I leaned to year checks because I thought there was a little, the differences that he had were just a little bit greater than differences than Nemich had versus, versus him. Uh, in terms of number three defenseman too, um, I think it's going to be Kevin Korchinski. I think his, his WHL playoffs, even though it's not more my person, he's not my personal number three defenseman. I think he's my personal five actually. And mm-hmm. I forgot where I had Bischel, Lee and Bischel. I'm, uh, was, uh, I'm looking right uh, now. Yeah, oh yeah. You it, had, it, it, you had it, Bischel ahead of him by one. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, whatever. Like it's yeah. different, you know, yeah. but yeah, I think Matejchuk was two spots ahead too. So yeah, I think there was, yeah. it was, it was like, it was those three that Menchikov who would be higher if it wasn't for his passport. Uh, so I, th- I think it's going to be one of those three guys, but, but I think uh, just from everything I'm hearing, I think it is going to be Kevin Korchitsky. I, I just, it would, I would be supr- a little surprised actually, if it's a different name, that would be, the, that's the yeah. third defenseman off the board. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I thought the same thing. And he's, he's right behind Matejchuk for me. Um, and, and he's, he's a really interesting player and yeah, having this extended postseason run with Seattle, they're in the WHL final now. They could um, win it. They could win I mean, the whole, they're, yeah, they're, they're competitive against one of the best teams in junior hockey all season. Um, you know, so that is a very impressive. Um, also another guy on there that I've been talking a lot more about lately. And I know you've been kind of talking about him as well as Reed Schaefer from Seattle. Um, you know, mm -hmm. he's an interesting player. He's kind of risen up the ranks a little bit. He's, he hasn't, uh, is, he had a really good season. He's been strong in the playoffs. Um, but that's another name to know from Seattle. I mean, the Seattle ended up having quite a few, uh, yeah. interesting yeah. players there. Yeah. I mean, I, I put a mock draft out today and he's in my first and I, I from everything I'm hearing, I think he's going to be a late first, early, early second round type of pick. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I mean, you know, is, is really good for him and, and certainly not something that, I think I would have predicted at the beginning of the season, but that's a name that you constantly hear as, as one of those guys that everybody's keeping an eye on. Um, another thing that kind of, that, that we've, we've known for a little bit, but also that, that came out more during the combine um, is a very interesting case of Cutter Goche who played wing primarily this season, but most teams seem to want him to, to be a center. He's going to play center at Boston college. He says he feels more comfortable at center. Um, how does that change the dynamic for Cutter Goche going into the draft for you? Well, he was always going to be a top of the draft pick, not always, but over, over right. the last month or two, it was, it was quite evident. And the, he, he did play center for a long stretch of the season when while Charlie Stramel That's true. was injured. And then he played center of the All-American Prospects game. Uh, and I think there is like, like I said, there's a significant belief around the industry that he could be an NHL center it's no guarantee. Uh, I think you would like to see him do it for a full season and be comfortable and, ha and have success. Even though I think he did have success when he was playing the middle for the, for the program this season, that's kind of what started to uh, spark his rise up the draft rankings. Uh, I think if you're Columbus or Philly at that five, six spot, where you really would like to improve your center depth and you were hesitant. If one of those two teams believe now uh, that he is a center, maybe even as high as Arizona or Seattle, frankly, I think he goes from a guy who was probably in the six to 10 range. Now you're talking, okay, what, what's this guy ceiling now in this draft? Absolutely. I mean, the, I think the upside for him is pretty substantial. You know, the size athleticism package, um, <clears throat> excuse me, what he brings to the table. So um, I'm very, I'm very excited to see kind of what ends up uh, what that ends up looking like um, going forward. But yeah, he's interesting. Another guy, um, you know, that we will have a center wing debate is a center, a natural center, Matthew Savoy. Um, mm -hmm. you, know, you have him as a top 10 projected guy. Um, I he's, he's right on the cusp for me. Um, did get but injured he, at the he, end of the he, season. He was 11 on my most recent mock draft. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So like he'll, yeah, and you know, he's, he's been one of those guys that's kind of floated around the periphery of uh, you know, the, the, that, that top at, at, at some points, the top five discussion, now it's closer to the top 10, top 15 discussion. You know, do you have any, any personal feelings on why, you know, why that's changed? I mean, I, I know the size is always a factor, but is it just other players getting better or is it, is there some reason that you think he's kind of slipped a bit? It's probably a little bit of both the player himself and things happening around him with guys like OTA moving up, Marco Casper moving up, Kevin Korczynski moving up. 
Uh, and the player himself had that great first half as one of the leading scorers in the WHL. Second half of the season, not so much, kind of slows down there a little bit. Yeah. Uh, loses his job on the first power play unit to the 16-year-old Zach Benson, who is unreally good. Like, he is really good. That's that's a guy who's not going to last long in, in next year's draft. Uh, but that's been kind of the issues with Savoy. And then kind of looking at pro projection, 5'9", Pretty good skater. I don't know if it's exceptional feat for a small guy for, for the top end of the draft, like the real top end. But right. he obviously, he's still an excellent skater, competes well. He can make a lot of plays. Like he's a great, there's a lot to there's a lot to work with there. He's a great player. Uh just you can just at for a five-nine, probably gonna be a winger in the NHL. I think there's some teams just having questions like, is there enough here? Is there enough to get you excited? Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, it's yeah. There's a lot of there are a lot of players like that. It feels like this year where there's the you know there's this or that that you know it's just like ah it gives me pause or gives you know something I don't love or just you know it's changed changed over time and that you know obviously we've watched a lot of these guys throughout the year and it's just you know you watch them enough times and you say oh I like this I don't like that and yeah but it'll it'll be interesting. So one the last thing that I'll go to is the place where we don't have a ton of separation in terms of where they'll be on our list, but you know, you've got your top tier is Wright and Slavkovsky. Mine is would include Logan Cooley. What was it for you that kept him outside of that tier where, you know, you've got him as a projected top of the lineup player, whereas the other two you have as projected NHL all-star slash top of the lineup player. Uh, I just, I look at the, um, the player, I think that the toolkit, as you mentioned, you can argue it's the best toolkit in the draft. So yeah, it's he's he was absolutely in that discussion. Something like somebody I can strongly consider. I I do look at his season as a whole, his two seasons with the program, and I would personally argue it was not exceptional. I don't think that's true for a small yeah. for a smaller player. You you know he barely, I think his numbers look really similar to Clayton Keller's. Just you know, from his his NTDP numbers, his USHL numbers, his international numbers, just didn't even. I would argue internationally, even Clayton Keller was better than him, and I and that's for that. I think he's a better player than Keller, better skater. I think more competitive all around. Uh, But I think there was a lot of games you watched Logan Cooley this season, even though he looked really dynamic with his skating and his skill. uh, I think you and this is a sentiment shared from people around the league I talked to as well. I think you wished he would have accomplished more. In, in a lot of, particularly in his junior games, I think you, it's easy to get excited by the talent. And I love the player, obviously third on my list. Uh, but in terms of why he isn't in that top tier is that I think Slavkovsky and Wright have both the toolkits and have accomplished more in their, in their years leading up to their draft. Whereas I think you're still kind of waiting on Cooley to, to pop off and, and have the kind of big year you think he should. Yeah. I, I've also, I've wondered how a completed world juniors would have changed the way we look at the top of this draft. I mean, sure. Yeah. Because but, that, but yeah, we, but I, it, I, didn't think, it didn't yeah, happen. It didn't happen. Yeah, yes. It's a high, I know it's, it's, it's a waste of time to talk about, but you know, in those early games of those three players, I thought Cooley looked the best of all three of oh, them. Yeah. And then oh, yeah. he was and Shane Wright actually didn't look very good at the world juniors. Um, he did not. So that was, it was, but it was just interesting, like, cause that always, that is an event that always has a, a big impact on how the public perceives the top. Um, but yeah, but so we didn't end up seeing that, but, but I, I, I think you make great points and I agree. I, I, I was not 
Uh, I didn't think his under 18 worlds was particularly good. Not for a top tier player. You think of the guys that, that have, have, have been top picks in the draft that um, that have played in that tournament. And especially this year without Russia, you say, okay, well, that's not, it's, it's already a weaker field. So. I mean, I mean, we talk about like, you know, I've, I've, I've shed on Shane Wright already on the, on this podcast. So just like as a Shane Wright shout out, he had as almost, I think he had as many goals at last year's U 18s as Logan Cooley had points at this year's U 18s. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, and that, and that is an interesting thing about like that, that Shane, Wright. That looking back at his under 18 world championship, he looked like an all world player. And then you learn that he was playing through injury and illness throughout the entire tournament essentially, and was by far the best player. You know, he was my MVP vote for that, for that tournament. And, and, and then, yeah, I mean, you know, so it's just the way it goes. I have Shane Wright number two, by the way. Um, and so I, I still think that he's very much a, a big time player. Now, my last question for you. Um, do you think that the Montreal Canadiens will do something different at the top than Shane Wright at this point, based on everything we know? And, and let's say that Kent Hughes has said, they have not made a decision on who they are picking. They will wait till you know July to make that decision. Um, they still have you know guys coming to, to Montreal and different things that they're doing. But it, as of this point, and I haven't looked at your mock draft yet, so this will be no spoil. This uh, it wasn't spoiled for me yet. I'm genuinely curious. What do you think they're going to do? Uh, I, I think it will be Shane Wright. Just I, I can't say that for sure, but. You know, you hear little rumors here and there, but for, for most of what I've been heard from around the industry, I think that I think that will be the number one pick. Uh, I think they're going to do their due diligence on their other on the other candidates, uh, but that would be the bet right now from from myself and talking to people around the league. Although it is not a universal opinion. Yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be very interesting to see what they ultimately decide to do because. They're hosting the draft and there's a lot of pressure. And one of the things that I heard from NHL guys throughout was, was just the, the pressure of having that number one pick on at home. It does impact, it shouldn't impact the decision, but it, it impossible, it, it's impossible not to um, because of, you know, the, and it's also a big decision for Kent Hughes early in his career as GM. So, um, you know, Shane Wright's been the guy most of the year. He's the good Canadian boy as well. He's a center. He, he does everything you need him to do. It makes a lot of sense, but I, I'll be interested to see if Kent Hughes is, uh, if he, if he feels the way that we do, that maybe he's not the best player um, in this draft. Time will tell. Time will tell. Trademark Corey Promen. Love it. So Corey, thanks so much for taking the time. It's, it's a great, I'm glad that we can kind of bookend the draft season. I mean, there's still a few weeks to go. But uh, congratulations on all the work that you did this year and your draft rankings and mock drafts and much more work to come. I look forward to uh, spending more time with you, uh, hopefully in Montreal, if I get there and we'll see if I get there. And uh, yeah. And other than that, uh, good luck the rest of the way here. Great. Take care. All right. Once again, my thanks to Corey Promen for joining me on this week's episode. And I also wanted to take the opportunity to as I do pretty much every podcast, give the listeners an opportunity to ask questions. Before we get to that, you know, the combine was this week. Corey and I talked about it a little bit. Corey was there. I was not. 
Um, but the combine always an important event for the scouts. Certainly, the interview process is is key. The medical testing is key. It's much more important than the physical training. But you know, there was a lot of really good performances at the combine, and you know, Cutter Goche was was a big time performer there. Joachim Kamel, um, big time performer there as well. Um, you know, and it's always nice to get a little bit of evidence, a little extra evidence of kind of what the um, what's behind some of the skills that some of these players have. And, um, you know, there were a number of players that weren't there, a uh, number of players that didn't test. Slavkovsky was one of the players that didn't test, um, you know, uh, Matthew Savoy, Connor Geeky, uh, David Juracek did not attend. So there were a number of top prospects that didn't end up testing but you know it's not going to make or break a prospect but um you know i think that there is a lot of value in the combine on a number of fronts i know that a lot of people don't necessarily believe that but um if you understand that the physical training and the testing that they do with the you know like the long jump and the pull-ups and all those things those are minimally important in in as compared to the interview process and the um, the medical testing, which has been a very important thing in terms of you know, discovering any potential pitfalls or, or, or medical issues or physiological issues um, that players may have. So always interesting to find out what came from that. But, you know, there wasn't, you know, it's not something that's going to materially change anybody's draft stock. As Corey mentioned, you know, there were a couple of guys that measured smaller than they had been listed previously. That happens all the time. Um you know, I think that the size and weight and different things, you know, that they don't matter as much at this stage because it's just a, a, the beginning stage of, of these players on their developmental track. So, uh, but but it is something that teams will take note of. And so uh, you could definitely check out, you know, NHL.com had a, had a pretty significant uh, rundown of who top performers were um, at, the, at, the, at the combine. So it's always good to get a little bit of a, an idea of that. All right, so... There's plenty of other things to talk about in the hockey world, but I wanted to give it you guys the opportunity to tell me what you wanted to hear about, specifically as it pertains to the NHL draft. Um, and you know, we spent a lot of time talking about Uri Slavkovsky with Corey. We are going to spend more time talking with him now uh, because that is where some of our questions have come from from all of you. All right, this this first question comes from ODA, and I think it's a really interesting thought experiment. Um, Who's the better prospect coming out, Kapokako or Yuri Slavkovsky? Um, very good question there from ODA, who is a Devils fan. Um, and um, I'll say, you know, off the top of my head, based on the two draft seasons between the two, um, to me, there was no doubt in my mind that of the two players, Kapokako, um, at least in his draft season, was the better player. Um, I had more faith in him as a top-tier potential prospect. Uh, he seriously challenged Jack Hughes down the stretch. As things have progressed, you know, he hasn't necessarily had the great start to his career that I think everybody was hoping for. Um, he's starting to show some glimpses in uh, the playoffs, but, you know, now he's in his third NHL season, and we're still kind of waiting for him to break out. Um, I do think that that's you know, he has potential to come out. But let's take a look. So he also played in the Finnish Liga, 38 points in 45 games, 22 goals, also had five points in the postseason that year. Did go to the Men's World Championship, six goals, seven points, 
So very similar in terms of his production compared to Slavkovsky. Um, similar in size, a little bit smaller, six foot three, two hundred five. Slavkovsky's closer to six foot four, two fifteen. So that is also an indication of kind of where this draft is. If Uri Slavkovsky is the best player in this draft or one of the best players in this draft, he's still not as good as some of the players that we have seen, you know, at go at number two before. Um, the body of work that Capo Caco had coming into this year was much different because he had, you know, the World Juniors didn't get canceled. He was able to play in a lot of international events, and then he had a great pro season where he was getting significant playing time um, and, and producing at a high level. So I got a lot of time for, for Kako. I still think that he will find his way. Um, I'll be interested to see, you know, what if that comes with the Rangers or somebody else down the line. Um, but, you know, as, as we've watched him kind of go in this third season, it just goes to show you that as good as a player is before his draft, um, it, the NHL is a really difficult league. And, you know, there was really no indication that Kako would struggle this much uh, to adjust to the NHL. Um, and I wish I had a better answer for you for why it hasn't quite worked out the way that, you know, I think everybody would have hoped. Um, but, you know, I think that he is having a strong enough postseason this year to, you know, at least show an indication that, you know, better days are ahead for him in his career. But um, in terms of it, you know, the hockey sense, the production, the skill level, you know, all comparable. Um, I think the biggest separator for Slavkovsky is the size skill package. I think he's got some more dynamic abilities than Kako ever showed. Um, very similar in the compete level, probably a bit more physical in general. Um, so those are some of the differences and why he's still going to be a very good prospect. But I think that was a great question to kind of, you know, showcase a little bit why the top of this draft were not so excited as, you know, as, as we have been in years past, but very interesting nonetheless. Uh, next question comes from Chris Wassel. Does New Jersey trade the second pick? I had to ask it once. Well, I would say that there, you know, Tom Fitzgerald has made no, you know, no secret that the second pick is available for the right price. Um, what would that be? And and I think in in most cases, the the situation where New Jersey is going to trade that pick, it's going to be a trade down scenario, um, because you know, let's say, and it could very well happen on draft day, because let's say that. The Canadians draft Slavkovsky. You know, I don't think that Shane Wright necessarily is the best fit for New Jersey going forward. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, who's he going to knock? I, I don't think that he'll knock off Nico Heischer or Jack Hughes anytime soon in terms of being a top two center for that team. If you felt like he would, if New Jersey felt like you would, then he's the pick because, you know, you make that you make that decision not based on what you have currently, but what you're going to have down the road. And if you think he's going to be better than either of those two players, then that makes it easy for you. Um, you know, same thing with Logan Cooley. And I think Cooley, whether you have him as a wing or a, four, a center, it doesn't really matter. Um, you know, you get that dynamic player. But I think any package that, that New Jersey would have, I think you still have to make sure that you get a first-round pick in this year's draft. And I, I wouldn't, if I was to do it, I wouldn't want to drop much further than, say, 20 in the draft. You know, so... Uh, but if you say you get a, an impact roster player plus one, you know, if there's a team out there that's looking to, to shed some salary, you know, I'm thinking like the Minnesota Wild with Kevin Fiala, um, you know, do, if they're looking to shed that salary, do they have the capital to make some moves um, to, to, you know, to kind of go through uh, with it? I don't necessarily know that they do. 
Um, I don't think that Fiala up, you know, straight up makes the most sense to go number two overall. So it, it's an interesting thought process um, and one that I think uh, we'll we'll have to to continue to monitor. But that is one where I do think that um, you know there is a real possibility that 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 uh, pick does get traded in some sort of package. It'll just be fascinating to see what it is and, and how late that decision comes. Would it even come on the draft floor? Uh, many, many things left to, to be decided there. Next question comes from Starlax. Do you believe Simon Nemich will pick up steam and challenge for the number two spot in the draft, especially with the success of all the young defensemen in the league? It's a really good question. I think that um, Nemich and Juracek both very well could, could threaten at number two. There's certainly no guarantee that... Um, the Devils would pick Slavkovsky or one of the top forwards. There's always the possibility that they would go defenseman. Um, obviously, they did that last year. Luke Hughes looking very strong. Um, you know, I think if you're looking between the two players, Nemec and Slavkovsky, I think Slavkovsky has a little bit more of what they don't have. Um, Nemec is kind of uh, uh, feels a little redundant to me. Uh, I don't think he de- defends as well as Juracek does, and I think that Juracek has that that skating ability in the shot. Um, I just I would have a hard time using the second pick on either of those players. Um, I like them. I think that they are going to be very good defensemen. I think if you're if you believe either one of them has top pairing potential, that changes the dynamic for you and maybe you, you do it. I, I'm not as confident that either one is going to be a top pairing defenseman. I think both have a real good chance to be uh, a top four. But um, it is possible that there's been enough steam. And, and Simon Nemich has been a guy who's really grown over the last season. He's, he's, he, he had a tremendous playoff, so it's really uh, altered his stock and, and, and picked it up to a degree where it's like, well, this guy's certainly going to be going in the top five, top six, top seven range, um, you know, if, if there was any doubt before. So um, it, it, it's certainly possible. I would be surprised if that was the route that New Jersey took because I think there's too much value in the forwards that are there. Even Shane Wright, you know, if if it comes down to it, you know, I think that I would take all three of the top three forwards ahead of any of these defensemen and maybe even, you know, other guys like Cutter Goche, um, you know, the uh, other other uh, uh, forwards, uh, Frank Nazar, you know, Matty Savoy. You know, there's a lot of different players that you could kind of look at, Um in that number two spot. And, you know, I, I still think that, um, you know, it'll be one of the three forwards that we've been talking the most about. Um, but, but certainly not necessarily uh, just those guys. All right. Our next question comes from a frequent questioner, Bill Armstrong's burner again, still not believing that that's actually Arizona coyotes, G coyotes, GM, Bill Armstrong's burner Twitter account. Cause I think Bill would know this stuff, but anyway, who are the top of the second round guys to target for the Coyotes since we own the whole second round? Who's the top defensive prospects in that area you can see them going with? P.S. Logan Cooley is the GOAT. Well, Logan Cooley very well could be there at number three where the Coyotes will have their first pick of the draft. And they also have two two other first round draft picks and four second round draft picks. So uh, an amazing draft haul and an opportunity to really get a huge rebuild package going here. To answer the question specifically, there's a real crapshoot in terms of, and, and I'll address this in another question later, but there is a lot of uncertainty of what the top of the second round is going to look like because there's a lot of uncertainty what the end of the first round is going to look like. So that's two two positions where the Coyotes are don't don't necessarily have a lot of you know ability to predict what's going to happen. But 
without having some, the ability to prick what's happening, there's there's plenty of options in that range. You know, is is big center from from uh, uh, from Quebec, uh, Nathan Gaucher, is he going to be a guy that uh, is available there in the late first, early second round? He's got good, you know, two way value, uh, has some power, you know, power center capabilities. Is an interesting player in that range. You know, it, how far is Brad Lambert going to fall? And if you have that many picks, absolutely take that risk. Take the risk on what what he that that skill package that he has. I don't think that he's necessarily going to fall out of the first round. I don't know that he'll fall far enough for the Coyotes to use one of those second picks. But if he's there with that number of picks that you have, I think it makes a lot of sense. You say, hey, this guy's got all these tools. If we work with them, if we get him going, you know, and and Lambert has said he is you know, essentially not under contract for next season. He is open to moving to North America. That could potentially mean playing in the WHL, could mean playing the AHL. You know, how do you how do you make that work? And and I think that Lambert will be interesting to depending on where he's at. You know, in terms of you asked specifically about defensemen, I think one of the guys who's super intriguing to me later in the first round, um, you know, he could go higher than I expect him to, but that's Sam Rinzel out of uh, Chaska High School in Minnesota. He also played for the Waterloo Blackhawks this year. And this is a guy that has so much raw potential. Um, he's, you know, six foot three and a half, six foot four, somewhere in that range. Um, you know, right shot, high, high upside. He's a guy that won't be ready to play for three or four years down the line. I mean, he's got a lot of development that he needs to do. He's committed to the University of Minnesota. Um, you know, I think he probably could use some more time in junior getting, you know, better of uh, being a better rounded player. Um, the hockey sense is average, but it's really something that I think his physical tools are such and that the upside is there and is, is some of the plays that he can make now as he gains more experience. I really do think that there's something special um, there and I think that he'll be available in the late rounds. Um, you know, other guys that could potentially be there in the second round. Um, you know, how far is Ivan Marashashenko going to fall? If you, you know, he, there's the Russian factor. There's the fact that he's recovering from Hodgkin's lymphoma. It, it appears that everything's in remission, that he'll be able to resume training and, and really start getting back to, to what he was doing. Um, he's such an immense talent. And if he's sitting there and you've got four second round picks, and if he's still on the board, man, that's a guy that I would be jumping up to get because I think as long as we can get those those visa issues cleared, and certainly drafting Russian players is going to be fraught with tension for a number of reasons, not just you know the fact that you don't know if you're necessarily going to be able to get that visa. He's under KHL contract for two more seasons in Omsk. You know, that's a guy where you say, okay, we play the long game, we get him in there. He's going to be a guy that you know that we could have, and if you can get him late, that's going to be super exciting for you. Um, also, one of the guys that I think will go in the early second round that I think is, is is a work in progress, but really an intriguing player is Florida native Seamus Casey, one of the best skating defensemen in the draft. He's not a big guy, but he's highly mobile, um, has showed flashes of offensive potential. He just doesn't finish plays as well as I'd like for him to do that. And so that's something that I think, you know, could could be something to, to keep an eye on. Um, you know, there are some other guys that Cam Lund of the Green Bay Gamblers, good two way center, a guy that, you know, if he if he just continues to to bring that competitiveness night in, night out, that's something that, you know, has been lacking for him this year. He has a chance to be a real good player. You know, Tristan Luno, the, the defenseman from uh, the Gatineau, um, good two way guy. I think he doesn't have quite enough offense to be a first round draft pick, but could be a really good second. Um, and then a guy who could be there late first, early second round, Reed Schaefer from the Seattle Thunderbirds, one of the late risers, 
good two-way forward, plays a gritty game, but also has high-end skill. He's had a great playoffs for Seattle. So that's just a that's a collection of players that I think will be available in that range. And so if your favorite team is picking late in the first, early in the second, um, those are names to keep an eye out for, not just for the Coyotes fans, but we do thank uh, Bill Armstrong's burner for his uh, question there. And uh, all the best to you, Mr. Armstrong, and, uh, and your draft. Um, <laughs> the next one comes from Martin. What players with star potential will slip to the third round and beyond? Why do scouts miss on them? Is it that the kids are immature and some, some of the, some of them grow up or is it injuries? Is it because they're Eastern Europeans? Well, here's the thing. If scouts knew guys were going to be stars and they saw star potential in them, they wouldn't slip to the third round. They'd be picked much earlier. The issue is, is that, you know, development is not a straight line and, there are going to be guys that don't look like a player right now that are going to become players. There are plenty of – it happens every single year, and it's not because scouts miss them all the time. It does happen. There are certainly times where they, they miss on a guy and they, they misread him. It could be size-related. It could be you know overthinking it. It could be any number of things. But what what I think most scouts do is that you know they're, they're, they're working off these projections. I mean, if anybody thought that, that Braden Point was going to be – the superstar that he became for the Tampa Bay Lightning, he, they wouldn't let him fall that far into the draft. It, the thing was is that he was a smaller forward that you know didn't necessarily have the, the all the tools that they, the the teams were looking for, and even though he had tremendous production, um, you know he's he's one of those guys where you're just like ah, you know I, I mean looking back it seems so simple but it it really isn't. Um, you know, certainly injuries, certain guys, you know, that, that miss time. You, know, you look at a guy like a Cruz Lucius who could slip far into the draft this year. He missed most of this year with injury, but he's got some good skill. He had a really good under 18 world championship. His older brother, Chaz, was a first rounder last year. Um, you know, Cruz very well could be going to, to the WHL or, or looking for another college program next season. He's a guy with a longer development timeline. You say, okay, well, you know, it, that's a guy in the third round where you say, oh, well, you know, maybe there's something more there beyond what 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 he's shown. Um, you know, there are other guys, too, um, that, that I find interesting. And sometimes it's just, you know, league biases or um, positional biases and, and, and things like that that, that that cause guys to slip. Um, you know, like I, I look at a guy like Jack Devine as well, who, who will probably go – in the early middle rounds of this draft. And and I think there were a lot of people that, that believed when he was younger, that he was a surefire NHLer and, and a surefire first rounder he goes to Denver this year. Doesn't really produce at a high level. He's a freshman. He's one of the youngest players in college hockey. And you know, a lot there, there's a lot that he has to, to kind of make up for in that regard. But you know, I, I think that, you know, a guy like divine is, is another one where it's just like you know, a lot of the stuff that he does was kind of hidden a little bit this year um, in, in the role that he had to play as a young player on a, on a team that ended up winning the national championship. So there are a lot of different factors, Martin. I think if teams were, were confident in those players, um, they would draft them much earlier. There are certainly guys where they, you know, they get their, their, their feelings on guys um, and they say, okay, well, this guy has the wrong size package. This guy didn't have the production. This guy was injured. Um, but, we've seen enough to say there's quite a bit of upside here and maybe he could become a star. Um, so that's going to be, you know, something that always is uh, something they'll consider, but it's very difficult to predict 
you know, who those guys are going to be. I mean, there have been plenty of guys that I, that I've listed over the years that, that did make it, um, that, that made it to the NHL. And, you know, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about myself cause I listed them. But if I was, if I believe they would become what they became, like say like a Shane Gossis bear or anybody else, you'd say, Oh, well, I would have taken them much higher and I would have looked even smarter. Um, but that's just the way it goes. So it's, it's inexact science, but a lot of fun. All right, next question is Steven, and he is asking, best overage player in your opinion, Logan Morrison, Mikey Milne. Um, there are going to be quite a few overage players or re-entries selected in this draft. There are going to be a number of those players selected, guys that are second and third year eligibles. The two mentioned, Logan Morrison, Mikey Milne, phenomenal seasons. Uh, Morrison playing for Hamilton, Milne playing for the Winnipeg Ice. Um, like both of them, Milne in particular with just a sensational season. I mean, really, he had 12 points in the 14 games last year for Winnipeg in the shortened WHL season. Um, this being his fourth WHL season, 81 points in 68 games, including 38 goals, 19 points in the playoffs uh, in 15 games. And so he's absolutely one of the players that's in the mix to be you know, selected this year and, and, and certainly selected high. One of the guys that I like quite a bit is Tucker Robertson. I listed him last year as a, a kind of a late round guy that I liked. And and part of the reason that I liked him was, you know, he, he actually played really well in that um, summer event that was put on by OHL players, the, the, the showcase. Um, and he did really well there. But um, aside from that, you know, he didn't ha- had no other games. And that was all they had to go off of. 81 points in 68 games this year for Peterborough, 41 goals. Um, you know, he's an average size guy. I think he moves well enough, good right shot, you know, goal scoring ability. I think he's a guy that's going to be, you know, fairly high on my final list in terms of, of you know, he'll he'll be higher than he was even last season because we have more data and we can see it, see that he was a quality player this year. Um, another guy I really like, Dominic James from the University of Minnesota Duluth. I think that he is... Uh, you know, he didn't have big numbers. He's not going to have that flash and dash, but he did make the world under eight or the world junior team this year. Really good motor, um, good two-way play. He has speed. Um, and, and he's playing in a program where they relied on him heavily. And he really was, you know, showed he could drive plays. You could be good defensively. You could play on your PK, you could do all different things. Um, those are a number of the guys that I really like. Um, the, the guys that you mentioned, and then, you know, a couple more Robertson and, and James, but that's, they're not the only ones. I mean, there are certainly going to be other guys that go, um, you know, that, that were eligible last year, uh, but didn't manage to get selected. So I think you're going to see a lot more of that this year, just because we've got more data on those players now, and it's it's less of a risk to make those selections. So so that is a trend I'll definitely be keeping an eye on in 2022. A Shady asks: Is there more consensus between NHL personnel? versus the internet crowd among player rankings. And I will tell you this, Mr. Shady. Um, no, they're really, I, I think the public boards, if you look at them, how different are our boards in the end? We are all guilty at times of, of group think, of looking at each other, of get allowing per, of biases in there, seeing who's going where, how much they're connected to, Central Scouting's rankings, how much they're connected to Bob McKenzie's rankings. This year, I tried to to cut out as much of that noise as I could in my process because I didn't want to be beholden to this structure of a list. And so in the end, 
our lists often will look very similar for reasons like that. Um, but I will tell you that often NHL teams will tell me, wow, your list is nowhere near what we had, or this list that we saw on a different website was nowhere even close to what we had. Um, and I will tell you that NHL teams do look at it all the time because it is an indicator. They look at the public list because it's an indicator of where they think the tea leaves are kind of, you know, what it gives you a fairly good idea of the range that players are going to go in. There are always times where there are outliers where there are guys that go super low or super, you know, not even close, but, um, but I would say that the, the, the consensus among NHL teams, there's a lot of differences because they're all drafting on a different set of rules and, and things, you know, everybody has their own things and it's, it's not always biased. Sometimes it's, they're looking for a type. Sometimes it's look that they, they, they have their marching orders. You know, our coach wants to coach this way. We think that's a good way to continue to draft our players. That's the way we want to play down the road. Um, we're going to draft players that fit that mold. We're going to fit play, draft players that fit our brand of hockey. Um, and that's why there is such a wide array of lists among scouts. You know, they don't, I'll, I'll never, as long as I'm in media, I'll never see a draft board. Um, a current draft board. I will never. It's just never going to happen. It's one of the most closely guarded secrets, in of any team, as it should be. It's very valuable information. It's super important to keep that thing quiet because not only are scouts trying to predict where they should pick players, they're trying to see what everybody else is thinking as well. Who's going to be available? How do I build my board so that I make sure that when we when our picks come up, one of our top guys is still there. Um, that's, that's all part of it. So it's, it's a very interesting process. It's one of the things that I'm most fascinated by is how teams build their lists and also how they try to figure out how everybody else is doing it as well. So very, uh, very interesting as well, uh, on that whole front. So thank you for the question. I think that that is, is something that I'll continue to be super fascinated by. Um, Ryan asks, where do you see the tiers of this draft drop off after the first three, first five, first 10? I would say the drop off is after the first three. I think that there's a, a collection of, you know, Shane Wright, Logan Cooley, Uri Slavkovsky. For me, those are the top three guys in this draft. I think the drop off is minimal, but it is there. Um, I think the next tier you look at, you're looking at both defensemen, Nemec and Juracek, uh, Frank Nazar, Cutter Goche, um, you know, players like that, Joachim Kamel. I think that they're kind of in a grouping together. I think that grouping can go all the way down to about 10 or so. Um, and then there's another drop after that. And then I think it drops off after 16 a little bit, a little more after, you know, 20. And then things really tighten up. Um, I think really between 16 and 40, 50, you know, it's pretty tight. I don't think there's going to be a huge difference between players that are um, drafted in the late first as opposed to the early second, that's usually how it is. And, and the value is, is, is not as nearly as high as it is up top. Um, you know, things really taper off in any NHL draft after those first, first few selections. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, you know, if you have a team with a late pick, they might go a little bit off the beaten path, but that's how tight it is among those players and, and teams trying to figure it out. So, um, you know, I think, you know, if, if I were to tier the draft, I think it is that first three. And then you're looking at maybe the next five to six 
um, in that next range, which, you know, I, I mentioned those guys, Matthew uh, uh, Savoy as well, kind of in that mix, um, Jonathan Lakaramaki um, in that mix as well. So like, those are the types of players that are going to be there. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be tight. And, and I like, even at the top, you look at Slavkovsky versus Wright versus Cooley. And Corey said it earlier. It's 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 almost a coin flip at this point. And I, I I tend to agree, and that's why you're starting to see a little bit of a separation among the the players listed at the top. Coyote Steve's asked, players you hear will go higher than you have them ranked, and similarly, players you hear will go lower than how you rank them. Well, I think Brad Lambert's going to go higher than I ranked him. I'm probably one of the lowest on him um, in the public sphere. I love the tools. I think that there's a lot there. I have deep concerns about hockey sense and compete level. Um, I definitely have uh, some concerns about you know how his last couple seasons have played out. I worry about ceiling um, and just an ability to get make plays to the interior, and that's why I have him you know as 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 either a low first or just outside of the first round. Um, there's no question the skating ability that he has is is su- superb, and um, you know, he has a real opportunity to, to do something uh, special if he can put it all together. Um, guys that I think will also go higher than I have them listed, um, you know, I would say probably Leon Bichel. Um, I like the player quite a bit. Uh, he's a big defenseman. He's got fluidity. I've, you know, in the games that I watched early this season, I was like, oh, this is a guy I need to know more about um i think that there's a lot there i just don't think that he's necessarily in that same class as some of the other defensemen that are going to be drafted um i think uh um as far as guys that are go lower than when i have where i have them lane hudson i have him as a first rounder all day i think that despite the size concerns he is an exceptional competitor he's one of the most dynamic players in this draft he's one of the smartest players in this draft and I love the way that he plays. Um, and I think that he is going to find a way to make it to the NHL. You don't necessarily want to draft guys that have to find a way to the NHL, but because of his size, because of the strength issues, and you know the fact that he he doesn't weigh a lot, he doesn't, you know, he, he, there's concern about whether or not he's going to grow much more. Though, uh, you know, at, at the combine, Hudson was sure to point out that you know, he's been seeing an endocrinologist to to get a get a feel for. You know, his bone growth and you know there there's belief that he'll continue to grow a bit um you know he's, he's got a, a his brother was a late bloomer shot up to 511 you know there's a big difference for a defenseman between 511 and 58 uh Jared Spurgeon is the smallest defenseman in the NHL right now in terms of height and weight at 59 at about 165 and Logan uh, or Lane Hudson rather is you know basically a hair under five, he's like 58 and a half um, on a good day and then he's about 158 pounds so that's he's he's got to continue to grow and I think the player though I, I'm not as concerned about it and I think he deserves to be a first round draft pick that doesn't always work out that way I think it's more than like more likely than not he'll go in the second um, but if he's there in the late first and he's still on the board and, and your favorite team's picking and, he, and they do pick him don't get distracted by the way that he looks uh, physically because, yes, he is small, um, but he is an absolute uh, competitor and in a, in a tremendously dynamic player that I think, given the opportunity, given the patience, given the opportunity to grow and, and to get stronger, that's a guy that I think could play in the top four down the road. Um, 
I'll, I'll be fascinated to watch that his whole progression. But those are some of the guys that are that are absolutely you know going to go um, lower. You know, he's one that I think will go lower than I have him uh, there. Um, you know, beyond that, it's really difficult to say. Um, you know, as I mentioned, there's just in that late first round, there's just not a lot of guys that I think are going to go, um, you know, super, super low, super high. I mean, I think that they're, they're going to go in a fairly reasonable range. Um, but you know, those are just a few that I, that I wanted to point out. Uh, Roman asked a good question about the combine. Any chance the NHL adds an on ice element similar to the NFL with their drills? I would draw, it would draw more fans. I think. I think you're right, Roman. Um, I do know that the, I, I talked to Dan Marr of NHL Central Scouting about this a few years back when I was still at ESPN and asked why there was no on-ice component. Um, he said that you know the teams didn't necessarily want it. Um, there is on-ice testing at the top prospects game, um, which Central Scouting does get the results for and disseminates those to the, to the teams. Um, they'll, those are interesting. I've been at those before. I do think that they would... Um, draw more interest towards the combine. I'm very disappointed in the NHL's inability to make the combine a bigger media event than it is. They do a great job with allowing the media that is there, that is on site, the opportunity to meet the players and talk. Like it's, it's a phenomenal setup. Where it, where it lacks is that there's no real fan fan engagement. It is one of the great opportunities. And, and of course, the, the difference between this and you know the, the NFL combine and all those other things is that the NHL is still playing hockey right now. Um, you know, they're still in the Stanley Cup final. It's always during a Stanley Cup final. Um, you know, this year it's even in, during the conference finals. Um, so it's difficult to 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 kind of they don't want to distract too much from that, which I totally get. Um, but I think this is the, the combine is this opportunity to put these players that you're going to be telling the stories of in the next few weeks at their draft, a chance for NHL fans to see them, to see how they move and all those other things. That's so it's not a great media event and I don't know that it ever will be. So that is one of the other reasons why I just don't think that there will be much on ice testing. It's not something that they necessarily want to blow out. It's something that they do earlier in the year at the top prospects games um, you know, granted that it'd be nicer to see them all in the same place. In the end, uh, I think that the tests that are run now are, are, you know, adequate in terms of athleticism and different things that teams want to learn. Um, but certainly I can totally understand, um, the people that, you, you know, would like to see some on ice testing to say, Hey, uh, this is hockey, isn't it? We're, we don't do like standing long jumps and we don't do pull-ups, you know, so I, I totally get that, and it, it's certainly something that you know maybe someday will be explored. Uh, but I think it's partially timing, um, injury risk, a lot of different things that kind of come into play that, that, that are why they don't do that. Um, Justin asks, given the talent pool, are teams more teams going to be inclined to trade up or trade down the board this draft? That's a really good question, Justin. And I think that most of the time, the 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 belief is trade down trade down you know trade down get picks i don't think that there is enough depth in this class 
to provide the value that you'd want to see from trading down. Now, let's say you collect three third round or sec two two third rounders or something like that, or you know, you're able to get multiple picks in a round and there are still guys on your board that you like. I mean, then of course, trade down by all means. There's going to be opportunities for you to get those players. I think this year there's such a premium on the top tier of this class that there are definitely teams that are trying and would like to get into that range. Um, teams that need some some help that's not necessarily immediate, but help that will will be on the way soon. So um, definitely think that there is a, a higher probability of some teams trading up. I think there could be teams that get involved in the top five conversation. Um, you know, there is a significant drop off, you know, as you get later in that round. So if there are teams that are kind of down there um, and then they have roster players and or picks that they can use to package to trade up. Um, I think that could very well happen. So we'll we'll have to wait and see. Uh, Larry asks, any chance the Sens can package some of their picks for depth scoring roster players? I would say there's certainly a possibility that they could do that. I don't know that it's the best use of draft assets to draft depth or to, to trade for depth, um, especially if it's, say, temporary depth. Or, you know, I think you can find depth scoring in free agency and in other areas. Um, and it, I guess it depends on your definition of depth scoring. Um, you know, are you looking for uh, a, a, like a Brandon Hagel type? Or are you look, you know, a guy that has some grit to him and that can can pop in the odd goal? Um, you know, are you looking for that, that you know, that Barkley Goudreau where you're saying, you know, the basically the guys that Tampa continues to trade for to, to help fill out their roster? Um I just don't know if it's. I still think that the Senators are in a they're they're in a bit of a limbo as a as a franchise, um, in that they have a lot of work left to do, um, and I think that you know I didn't love their draft last year, um, you know I think that they could certainly help themselves. They don't have a ton of draft capital. They do have two second rounders this year. They have their first round draft pick. It's good to have. Um, I still think that the, 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 the senators need to continue to compile uh, future assets as opposed to using them in trades to, you know, for, for minimal gain. If that's if you're targeting depth scoring players, I think you be, should be able to find those guys in free agency this year. Of course, you got to get them to come to Ottawa at the same time, which hasn't necessarily always been the easiest sell. All right, our next question comes from Varley Slide. Who are the most exciting prospects in the number 13 range for the Islanders? I mean, there's a lot of really good options there uh, for New York. I mean, I think you'll have your pick of a number of centers and de defensemen, and, and, and there will be some good wingers there as well. Um, you know, in that range, if you're looking at my board specifically, you know, I think there's the possibility that, you know, you'll have you know, the top Russian, Danila Yurov, could be there. I mean, there's the slight chance that Jonathan Lekiramaki is still on the board. Uh, Matthew Savoy, Connor Geeky, um, you know, those are the types of players that could be there. I mean, I think that there's there's a high likelihood that there's going to be some really interesting and intriguing defensemen um, like uh, Denton Matechuk, Kevin Korchinski, um, who we talked about with Corey earlier today. Um, so those are players that certainly are in the mix to uh, be available in that range. What'll be really interesting is if Brad Lambert is on the board and I still think, I think he still will be at that point. 
um, what what the Islanders do. You know, his uncle is is Lane Lambert, the new head coach, um, and he's a dynamic player with speed. You know, you could definitely see him playing alongside Matt Barzell, and you know, just you know, getting tor- torching teams. It's just a matter of how much do the Islanders really feel like you know. Do they have the same reservations that I do about Brad Lambert? Uh, that, that you know the, the skill is all there, but there's a lot more left. Um, you know, is it going to be helpful for him to be in an organization where his uncle is the head coach? I mean, I really don't know. I don't. And and there's there's no doubt in my mind that Lou Lamarillo is not going to be making this decision at all, thinking about oh, this is Lane Lambert's nephew. Um, it's going to be who's the best player, um, and if it's him, you know, it very well could be. I think he'll you know still be available and and could be a pick. Um, that makes sense. Another guy that could be there is Marco Casper. And this next question is about him from Joseph. Is Marco Casper benefiting from Anton Lundell's success? Most writing out there seems to think he's a top 10, but both he and Lundell have supposed issues that make others fall down the board. I'm not sure exactly what the other issues are. I mean, aside from the fact that, you know, uh, production isn't necessarily uh, helpful. The reason that Marco Casper is, is, going up the board is because he got better as the season went on. Um, and, you know, they play in two different leagues. Lundell played in Liga in his draft season. Casper plays in the SHL in Sweden. Um, but, Ka- you know, Casper has shown that he can score at that level. He doesn't have a ton of points, you know, but he did have a really strong postseason, six points in 13 games for Rogla. Um, you know, he played very well at the World Championship, was a top forward, uh, playing more on the wing. At uh, with Austria at the World Championship, I think he's got the you know he, he's 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 good enough size. He's very cerebral. He has a bit of a nasty streak to him. He's good defensively, and he still has skill and the ability to score. I think there's probably a lot of teams out there that believe there's a lot more offense to be tapped into uh, his game. Um, but you know, I, I would say that you know in terms of Lundell is probably a good archetype for the type of player that you know you would want him to be but you look at Lundell and I think the Florida Panthers even though he didn't have a good playoffs the Florida Panthers will tell you that you know they, they feel very fortunate to have a player of his caliber um, in their lineup and it, you know growing at the rate that he has so far I think a lot of people th- feel that Marco Casper very well could be you know the next kind of guy that that plays that way my next question comes from Big Tortilla and Big Tortilla asks do you think Jimmy Snuggerud or Owen Pickering could be there for Arizona when they pick 27th uh, they certainly could be. And I think Jimmy Snuggerud is uh, of the players at the National Team Development Program that I believe are going in the first round. He's probably the guy that I think will be the last pick of those players in the first round. Excellent shot, good work ethic, good down low, um, does a lot of things well. He's got good size. Um, and then there's Owen Pickering, who is big, mobile, um, smart, has you know a lot of tools. Uh, can play defensively, good offensive abilities, maybe not the best offensive abilities, which is why he's probably going to be in that kind of backside of the tier of the top defenseman in this class, but I do think he'll go in the first round. I think it's very reasonable to expect either of those players to be there. If it came down to the two, I'd probably pick Snuggerud. I think there's you know the off- offensive upside, the work ethic. Um, those are two things that, that I think are really enticing um, if you're the Arizona Coyotes. Connor asks, predict what team drafting in the top 10 will take the biggest swing on a player not named Brad Lambert? Whew. I think the Flyers could be poised to take a pretty big swing. Um, 
you know, I think that they're going to have an idea of, of who's there. They're, they're, they're picking sixth. Um, they have plenty of needs. Their prospect system isn't overly deep right now. Um, you know, go for, go for skill, go for, you know, I, I think, you know, as I look at the draft and as I start putting mock drafts together, I keep coming back to Cutter Goche being, you know, if he's even there at six, um, him being a potential pick for them, especially now that, that that's known that he's going to be a center and that, or at least that he's projected to be a center. So that's the team that I, you know, I think the Flyers could be the team that takes a bit of a swing um, here. I, you know, they, they need to get better. Um, and I think they want to get better in the short term, but you know, if you look at a guy like, like Goche, um, you know, I don't think it's that much of a swing at this point. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that they're one of those teams that, that they're going to, you know, find a way to, to get a player. Say Goche is not there. Um, you know, Connor Geeky comes into play. Um, Matthew Savoy, I think is a swing at that, at that range based on who else is on the board. Um, you know, maybe they go with a defenseman that isn't Nemich or, um, Slavka or, uh, Nemich or Juracek. I mean, there are a lot of different things there, but for whatever reason, I, you know, when you asked that question, the first team that came to mind was the Flyers. Um, got a couple of non NHL draft questions that I'll answer real quickly. This one comes from Mike could would love to hear your thoughts on Bruce Cassidy being let go by the Boston Bruins. And, um, I was shocked like everybody else. I think he's a really good coach. I think he's a progressive thinker. Um, you know, I think that he's not really part of the problem there. And you look at what's going to be going on with the Bruins over the next season and the number of players that are going to be out at the beginning of the year due to surgeries and, you know, where they're going to be able to go and what they have and, you know, don't necessarily have a, a good prospect pool at this point. They have a few interesting guys in there that, you know, will help them uh, a little bit. But, um, you know, I think that, that that's going to be an interesting thing. I, I, I think to me this seems like, a, you know, a management caving a little bit. Someone has to take the blame and the general manager is not going to fire himself. And so, you know, there's a lot of talk of a new voice and all these other things. And I will say that the, the, the coaching market is very deep right now in terms of available head coaches, um, not just in the guys that have been there before, but in new head coaches or guys that are looking for that second chance. You know, you think of the number of different people that are out there. Barry Trotz obviously being at the very top. Um, you know, Claude Julian's still out there. I don't know if they're going to go back down that road. Um, but there's a lot of, uh, of really quality coaches available. Um, one name that I'm going to keep an eye on for that particular opening, um, is Nate Lehman at Providence college. Um, you know, that's just a name that I, I feel like, you know, they're looking for somebody new. They might have to get younger. You know, we don't know if, uh, if, if Patrice Bergeron is going to return, um, you know, can they bring in you know, a college coach, a guy that, you know, with this veteran group, maybe not, but it, if they're starting to transition away from that veteran group, you know, maybe Lehman, who's not too far away, uh, could be an option, or maybe they're just going for the, uh, the next, you know, veteran coach to try and come in and, and, and win a Stanley cup. So we'll see. But I, I, I thought it was a strange decision. I think Cassidy should be hired pretty quickly. Um, by any number of the teams that are currently have a coach opening. Um, he's made the most of his second opportunity at a very, very bad first run with the Washington Capitals, came back and made it count with the Bruins. And I think that was really impressive. Uh, last question comes from Stu. Should we get rid of the trapezoid for more Mike, for more Mike Smith time? 
Um, I love puck handling goalies. I actually don't love the trapezoid. I completely understand why it exists. Um, you know, ma basically making, uh, you know, the forecheck uh, more effective because you're not allowing the goalie to go back there. But I mean, you're also limiting the, the opportunity for goalies to make big old mistakes. And boy, did Mike Smith make a few of them over the last few years, even with the trapezoid. Um, I, I love puck handling goalies, though. I'd love to see it more. I think it's a skill play um, that, uh, you know, even though it takes away from the potential forecheck battles and things like that, um, I think allowing the goaltender to play the puck could also help for some injury prevention. And, and on top of that, um, you know, I'd love to see the goaltenders allow their skill to shine. I'd love to see a lot more goalie assists. So, uh, yeah, get rid of it. Stu, uh, let's get rid of it. You and me together, we'll, we'll do it. All right, so that's the end of the questions, and it's an hour and a half of the podcast, so if you stuck with us this long, thanks so much. Um, again, huge thanks to Corey Promen for stopping by, and a big thank you to all of you that provided questions to, to help me fill out the content of this site. As I mentioned, next week we will talk about the upcoming uh, draft. We'll talk about my draft rankings. I will answer more of your questions. You can yell at me if you want to on some of my draft rankings. I don't care. It's going to be released on my birthday. I'm immediately going to the gym right after that to uh, run my fears and worries away. I also desperately, if, you, if you've seen pictures, I mean, I got, I got to go to the gym. I mean, yeah, I got a family or I got to try to get back in shape uh, or if I ever was in shape. But either way, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll run out all of the all of the bad comments uh, while I'm at the gym. And then I will come back and answer even the mean ones. Uh, after I'm nice and refreshed. So that'll come out next week, uh, the full Q&A. Again, you can always reach out to me at Chris M. Peters on Twitter. Um, and also a reminder, last month of Talking Hockey Sense, uh, or sorry, not of the podcast, but of the website on Substack. Um, so you can definitely go ahead and check that out. I'm not collecting subscription fees, so newsletters from here on out will be free. Um, and so you can check out the last couple of those before I head off to my new gig. Thank you again to everybody. Please remember to rate and review the podcast. Share it if you must. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly enjoyed providing the content for you. And wherever you are listening right now, I hope you are having a wonderful day and continue to do so. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. We'll catch you next time. We'll